Join us now for Education Matters, a weekly look at the real people and real stories in education across North Carolina. Welcome to Education Matters, presented by the Public School Forum of North Carolina. I'm Keith Poston. When the new North Carolina General Assembly was sworn in last week, about a quarter of the 50-member Senate were new. On the House side, 26 brand new members joined, about 20% of the 120-member chamber. That group included 17 Democrats who helped end the Republican supermajority, but a legislature where the GOP remains firmly in the majority. This week, we're joined by four of those freshmen, two Democrats, two Republicans, to discuss their views on education and their goals for the new session. Before we tackle our main topics, we open with headlines, our quick scan of education headlines across North Carolina and the U.S. Carver Heights Elementary School in Goldsboro will no longer be taken over by the state's innovative school district. Last week, the state board reversed its earlier decision and voted to allow Carver Heights to become a restart school and run its own improvement plan. The ISD was created by Republican state lawmakers in 2016 to take low-performing schools away from local school district control and turn them over to outside groups to run. Now, some critics say the model hasn't worked in other states and is a way to privatize public education. A new report shared by the, at the state board last week by researchers from NC State found North Carolina's $150 million Read to Achieve program has produced zero gains in third grade reading proficiency. The program, championed by Senator Phil Berger in 2012, was supposed to help boost reading achievement. A battery of new tests were added and the students to be, were to be held back if they fared poorly. The money mostly went for digital devices and summer reading camps. DPI, which administers the program, says it's not recommending any legislative changes to the program, but does plan to work on better implementation. Finally, UNC Chapel Hill will expand its transfer program for community college students by adding new partnerships with Guilford Technical and Central Piedmont Community Colleges. The initiative was made possible with a $1.13 million grant from the GlaxoSmithKline Foundation and will include new support programs for students majoring in STEM fields. Remember, you can visit the Public School Forum's website at ncforum.org, click on Education Matters, and read more about each of these headlines as well as other topics we cover each week. As I said at the top of the show, there's a lot of new faces in the North Carolina General Assembly this year as a new session convenes, and we are fortunate to have four of them join us today, and we're going to introduce you to the first two. First, we have Representative Julie Von Hafen. Julie uh, represents uh, Wake County, uh, I think parts of Cary and Apex, and we can talk about that. Uh, uh, Rachel Hunt is next to her. Representative Hunt is in District 103, Mecklenburg County. Among many communities there, you represent Matthews and Mint Hill. Um, well, first of all, congratulations um, on joining the General Assembly. Now, look, you, um, um, you two uh, ladies defeated uh, two of the most powerful um, Republican men in the General Assembly, Re Representative Nelson Dollar and Representative Bill Brawley. I guess before we get into some of the education things, I mean, this did you feel like this was part, were you part of, of a sort of a national thing that was going on um, uh, as far as uh, women getting involved in running? I'll, I'll ask you first, Julie. Yes, I think so. I mean, uh, I think that, of course, more women ran this year than probably ever before. We're really excited to have so many women elected this year. And I think especially, I know Rachel and I met during the campaign, and we met a lot of the other women that were running for House and Senate. We became a very close group that really relied on each other during the campaign, and it was really great. Right. Um, what about you, Sam? 
Absolutely. We had a huge wave of women that were so upset with the way things had been going in our state and in our country that we just decided to take the ultimate sacrifice and run ourselves. We've all worked on campaigns for most of our lives, I certainly have, and donated, and this was just the step further. And we, like Julie said, had a, a really strong group of women, who, some of whom won and some of whom lost, but we remain close to this day. Right. All right, well, I'll, you, you mentioned Representative Hunt. You mentioned you've been um, involved in working around campaigns. Um, I think that's pretty obvious. <laughs> or for our viewers that don't know, you are the daughter of the original education governor, Jim Hunt, yes. um, uh, a friend of the show. So you obviously you grew up around watching your dad and mom um, right. um, promote public schools and education. So um, what's Rachel Hunt's education sort of worldview, sort of what do you plan to prioritize um, as a legislator? Well, I am very interested in making sure we become the progressive state, the number one state in public education that we once were under dad's leadership. And his legacy has been decimated by the things that have happened in the General Assembly since 2010, and I'm out to restore as much of that as I possibly can. Okay, I mean, and I'm going to get into it in a minute. I want to talk to you all about some specific issues, uh, Representative Von Hafen. You were on the show um, right there in that chair just a little over a year ago representing, at that point, you were the president of the Wake County PTA Council, and you were talking about the problems that were being created by the K-3 class size mandate. That was So here we are a year later. Um, you're going to be um, you know, part of um, those kind of decisions. I guess first, is there a through line from your your concerns and engagement on that issue and you deciding to run? Absolutely. Uh, that was probably the main reason that I ran. I mean, last year in my work, I mean, for the last several years, I've been really involved with public school advocacy. I've been working in the General Assembly on the other side, you know, being up there advocating for teachers and students for the last several years. And uh, especially around the class size chaos issue, I got even more involved, and it was a it was the number one reason why I decided to run. I was so tired of not being heard. Felt that there's many other groups, including teachers, that were not being heard, and I decided to run so I could be on the other side of that, that and, situation. And and of course, you know, you know, you know, now being an, uh, elected, um, now your decisions are going to be like the. <laughs> You're going to be the one getting the, uh, the the criticism or the praise. I'm sure that there probably you probably had some conversations with some of your new colleagues on both sides of the aisle that are, have probably been a little like, you know, it's 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 some of these things are tough. They're going to be easy and not going to be easy. so like 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 one of the issues. Um, I mean, teacher pay. I mean, we you know we've seen something. So like you know, sort of where do you sort of where do you think we've been, and is that something that you want to dive into um, as a new member? For sure. I mean, I think that that is, was the, one of the number one issues that was talked about, you know, by Rachel, by myself, by many other candidates. I know on the campaign trail, it was definitely something that my constituents and voters talked to me about a lot. Um, I think teacher pay, you know, I, I always bring it back to respect for teachers. I feel that teachers get a bad rap for, you know, wanting a pay raise. So they always want more money. It's really not about that for teachers. I think it's about the respect that pay brings and that we need to professionalize, you know, teachers again, treat them as the professionals that they are, and that comes with the pay that they deserve. Right. Representative Hunt, um, on the campaign trail, you talk to, I'm sure, teachers, educators, 
parent. Yep. Did they talk to you about things like school funding? Um, did they did they have concerns? Do you, is that something that you want to tackle? Sure. Not just separate from pay, but just just in general, the right. support for schools. Absolutely. Everyone has children or is connected to children. Everyone cares about what happens to their children. I talked about this every day at everyone's doors, and I remember went to mostly unaffiliated and Republican doorsteps. Right. So everyone cares what happens to their children, and schooling is the number one thing that is important to children. And if we don't have school funding for the buildings, for the teachers, for the um, supplies, and we don't have any of those now. Right. We have to have what children need to get a good education in the state. We owe that to them, and we owe that to our citizens, and that is the only way forward for economic mobility. Right. Let me, um, uh, you mentioned uh, going to Republican doorsteps, and one of the um, education can be, historically has been, a very bipartisan um, issue. But there are some differences, and one of those are on the areas that, under the large umbrella of school choice. Um, Representative Von Hafen, sort of where do you stand and sort of what are your priorities when it comes to things like charter schools, uh, private school vouchers, uh, uh, virtual charter schools, a lot of those, pe I mean, they're all different, I know, but yeah. sort of <laughs> generally where do you, you sort of where do you come down on those? Um, I mean, as a parent, I, I support parents' rights to have those choices. My kids are in magnet schools, so that's a choice I made for my kids. But I feel that we've gotten away from some of the accountability of some of these programs. They've gotten kind of too big, too fast. Um, I support a, a reinstatement of the cap on charter schools. Uh, and if we're not going to do that, I feel that we need to increase the accountability of schools. I mean, the virtual charter schools have been failing, and they, they keep being extended. And I think that we need to reexamine how we're um, accrediting charter, charter schools and also how we're keeping them accountable for their performance. Uh, Representative Hunt, same to you. Sort of, you've, you've got uh, Charlotte's got a lot of charter schools, right. and I'm, and I'm going to get into the municipal charter in just a sec. But sort of, yes. your, your take on these vouchers, those things. Right. So I also um, feel that parents need to have choices. My son actually went to a charter school um, for high school, and I worked in it. So I've been inside, and I was the board chair. So I know how charter schools work, how they can work. Some of them don't work well. Many of them don't have the accountability we need. We were at the Hunt Institute yesterday. We had a lady from the National Accountability Board of Charter Schools, a national group, and they she explained how some of our charter schools really are not accountable, and our state is not doing a good enough job in holding them accountable and making sure that we close the ones that are not working. All right, real quick, I want to ask you about you know, uh, House Bill 514 we've talked about mm -hmm. a lot. This was the directly affected you. In fact, Bill Brawley, who you defeated, right. was the sponsor yes. to allow municipal charter schools. Yes. Um, that's law now. Right. Are you involved in talking to Matthews, Mint Hill, trying to, trying to understand more? What do they want? So there's yes. that specific thing, and then there's a policy. So sort right. of where do you come right. down on this issue? So I am, you know, I am very involved in talking to folks in Matthews and Mint Hill. I, that came up some on the campaign trail with parents who were very concerned about what the tax implications would be from 514. This is before it was passed. Um, and I have now met with the mayor of Matthews, and we have talked in, de in depth about how that's going to go forward. Neither Matthews nor Mint Hill have taken further steps to implement that. Um, Cornelius and Huntersville are doing some study groups about going forward with that. So they have just said, the mayor has said that they want to just keep that right now and not use it and not go forward and, and make okay. it into. Uh, we're almost out of time. Last question for you, Representative Von Hafen. Um, very positive comments from uh, Speaker Moore about bipartisanship, mm -hmm. working across the aisle. You think that's going to happen? 
I mean, I think it has to happen. I mean, if we want to pass a budget this year that we all in agreement with and keep the government running, we're going to have to compromise. I'm happy to hear that he's supportive of a school bond yeah. because we desperately need that. And so, you know, I think those little steps and his indication that he's willing to work together, I hope, means uh, good things for our state. We do, too. Yes. Great. Thanks so much yes. for being here, Thank both you. of you. When we come back, we're going to be joined by two new Republicans elected in November. But before we go to break, see if you can answer this question. Lawyers are the most common profession of members of the North Carolina Senate. What is the second most common? Matters is brought to you each week in part by Paragon Bank. Serving others, enriching lives. Welcome back to Education Matters. Did you correctly guess D, real estate? Um, after lawyers, the next most common profession in the North Carolina Senate is real estate and then insurance. Uh, we're going to continue our focus on the freshman class with two of the new Republicans that are joining the General Assembly, including one of those insurance men um, uh, from the Senate. Senator Jim Bergen, Republican, District 12, you represent, you got a pretty um, broad district, Harnett, Johnson, Lee, I think, I know that includes, what, Sanford, Lillington, yes, Benson, sir. and all those areas, so welcome and congratulations on you. Representative Chris Humphrey, District 12, Lenore Pitt, I think that's Kinston, LaGrange, I think are a couple of the places people might know. So yeah. um, thank you. And just, and just so I mentioned the insurance, Senator Bergen, I'll start with you. Uh, you, you do have, you're the owner of C&D Insurance, so, uh, and you're replacing Senator uh, Rabin, who retired yes, um, after three terms. All right, well, you just you heard the, um, uh, the, the freshman uh, Democrats that came in, and I really wanted to talk to you all about um, education. Um, you spent time campaigning last year. I'll start with you, Senator Bergen. What did um, um, you hear from parents, teachers, the community about education if you were to get elected? They want to have choice. They want to be able to decide whether their kids are in public school, charter school, home school. And, um, and I talked to a lot of teachers while I was out campaigning. And, and the number one thing that they're concerned about is, is, is school safety and the amount of paperwork that they feel like they're doing that, right. that really doesn't, uh, they don't see the benefit of some of it. Right. What about you? Same question to you, uh, Representative Humphrey, uh, um, as you campaign. I should mention, you, uh, you defeated uh, an incumbent uh, three-term Democrat, Representative George Graham. It was a redrawn district, but just to give people the backstory on how you got here. What did you, um, as you were campaigning, education, I think folks know the General Assembly has a tremendous amount of uh, influence on local schools. What did you hear from your yeah, constituents? The same thing as Senator Bergen. Being from a rural district, uh, school safety was huge. Uh, you know, our schools in, in Lenore County and south, southwestern Pitt are older schools, so we haven't really built as many schools as some of these larger urban areas. And, uh, you know, there's a big rural-urban divide in this state, and, you know, the teachers, they they want nice classrooms. I mean, uh -huh. they want nice schools and uh, efficient, and, and so that that was a big issue. Right. Uh, testing was another one. I mean, there, sure. there, there's too many tests that are that are forced upon students. Well, that seems to be a, a, an emerging bipartisan consensus. I saw uh, Superintendent uh, Mark Johnson just yesterday pushed out uh, uh, sort of some more details on what he'd like to see. Let me. I want to dig into a little bit on this rural thing. I think y'all, um, the Public School Forum is releasing our top ten education issues next week, and um, I'll give you a sneak uh, preview. One of them is going to be a focus on rural unique education challenges for rural North Carolina. Um, and then you mentioned safety. I guess you're talking about there's a that kind of comes a couple of ways. And you're talking about 
unfortunately, of course, the horrific shootings and things like that, but also just the facilities. So what, what do you mean when you say safety? What, what are you thinking about? Uh, making it a hard target. We, we just built a new school in Harnett County this past year, and, and there's only one way in and out. You have to, every visitor has to go through the office. All the doors uh, are locked so that no one can get in from outside. Uh, there's a card scan system that we use. The building can be completely shut down from one point, even a cell phone, and, and just try to look at those things, not not to make it a fortress, but to make it someplace where people know sure. their kids are safe. Yeah, that, that makes it, I mean, I mean, when we were all growing up, I mean, we're, we're, we're at different ages, but I mean, we had breezeways and, you know, open, I mean, that's the kind of stuff now that you look at and go, unfortunately, we're in a different time. Yeah, I mean, back in the day, you could just walk right in and, you know, anybody could pick up students and that sort of thing, but now, I mean, now with just the uh, the national noise is really making people more aware. And, and students, you know, I have a daughter, she's in middle school, 14 years old, and, and, and she gets scared yeah. someday. She she, see, she watches the news and uh, she's uh, she, she's in a good school. I mean, it's safe, but you just never know. Yeah, I understand. Let me, um, I want to talk about two of the things we just talked about with the, the representatives, teacher pay um, and just sort of school resources and funding overall. I think the... Um, uh, Republican majority um, uh, is, is rightly proud of the investments that they've made in teacher pay. I'm sure y'all talked about that on the campaign trail. But sort of where are you? Do you think where we are where we need to be on teacher pay? And also, um, you know, North Carolina right now is ranked 39th nationally in, in per-pupil funding. Do you sort of where do you sound? I'll ask with you, Senator Bergen, where are you on that? Well, I've, I've looked a lot at teacher pay, and, and the, uh, the state average right now is about 50,800. Um, I think there's a lot of things we can do. As I said, I, when I talk to teachers about pay, that is not the number one issue. I think if I think they're teaching because they love it. Teachers have never, teacher pay has never been uh, what I think it should be. I don't think it ever will be. The te you know, I admire teachers uh, because of great teachers. I'm doing what I'm doing now. Right. So uh, I, I want to continue to look at teacher pay. I'll give you an example though about how, how there's disparity. I, I serve as Central Carolina. Community College Vice Chair, the average teacher pay in the community college is only 48800 and all of those folks have their master's degree in their teaching. Something else we ought to do is go back and pay the differential for uh, teachers that have their master's. So you would support reinstating the um, uh, master's pay I think supplement? We need to, I think we need to be continuously uh, encourage education. I want people to be lifetime learners. And I think by encouraging, I've got three children, two of them already have their master's. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I think, uh, and. I'm, I'm a, a, a totally supportive of being lifetime learners. Right. Uh, similar question to you, Representative Humphrey. The um, one of the unique challenges for rural North Carolina is the uh, property tax base and the local funding. And as I think y'all both know, that that supplemental pay. I didn't go in and pull all the numbers for your counties, but I can tell you it pales in comparison to what say a Wake, a Mecklenburg, a, uh, Orange can pay. Superintendents tell me that affects their ability to recruit teachers. Oh, it, it does. Uh, I, I think Lenore County maybe fifteen, eighteen hundred compared to what twelve thousand, fifteen thousand in Wake or something along those lines. Yeah. But it, there's a big disparity. Not quite that high, but yeah, it's, but it's, it's significantly higher than those. And we have several counties that have no supplemental pay. Yeah, and uh, you know, I, I visited a middle school this summer and they had Teach for America training there. Mm -hmm. So. That Teach for America is great for rural counties. It just doesn't really solidify the, the need for teachers because they turn over. Right, it's not a pipeline program, that, but they certainly have been 
uh, they've been a big. I'm sure. I know in your your area too, that's been a, uh, yeah. a sort of a, a, a lifesaver for some of those soups. Yeah, we, we've got to figure out a way to retain teachers, and and you know, there, there's more work to do, uh, no doubt about it. I mean, the uh, the general assembly last year made some strides, but uh, you know, these these folks take care of our kids. They train them. They they teach them, and you know, we we've got to make sure we. We take care of Senator Berger. You mentioned school choice, um, and that was a key issue for you, and that you heard from your constituents. Do you have any cons concerns about um, accountability or transparency? Do you think we know enough about? Let's, let's, let me give you one: this uh, voucher program, it's the private school voucher. Um, do you think it's where it needs to be in terms of uh, oversight? I think a certain percentage of the tax dollar ought to follow the child, uh, whether they go into whatever, even even homeschoolers. I, Homeschoolers spend a lot of money for curriculum and stuff sure. for their children. A lot of them don't want money from the government, though, because they think there'll be uh, strings attached. Usually. And, and, <laughs> and, and there are, but, but uh, in our county, the, the, the school that scored the highest in our county this past year was the charter school. And so, uh, you know, it's the only school that teaches Mandarin Chinese. Um, so I, I think we need to look at it, but yes, I think everybody needs to be held accountable. All right, I'm going to I want to wrap up the similar question that I was asking uh, Representative Von Hafen at the end. Um, um, on the Senate side and on the House side, both leaders made some uh, very uh, positive comments about trying to work together across the aisle. Um, do you think we can do that? I think so. I, I think the, uh, the the school bond discussion uh, is, is going to bring bring us together. Uh, I, I think the time is right to take a look at that. I know it's going to cost. We got to figure out how we're going to pay for it, but. We've got schools that are crumbling, like I said, in Lenore County. We've just got a bunch of older schools that have they've been taken care of. They haven't been neglected, but they were built in the 30s. And uh, it, it's time to for rural North Carolina to, to be taken care of, I believe. Last word from you. Um, I, I think education, you know, is, is really important. I think people need jobs. Uh, that's one of my big things is jobs in rural North Carolina. Um, I want to make a difference up here, and, and I think relationships are going to be the key to it. I've met with, every, well, this week I will finish meeting with every uh, uh, secretary, every commissioner. I met with the governor Wednesday, and, and every one of those cases I'm asking, what can I do to help? And, and what can we do to make a difference? Well, thank you both for being here. I hope you'll come back and see us, and, and good luck, and, and, and enjoy your time in the legislature. Do some good for us. Thank All you, right. thank, thank you. you. After the break, this week's final word. Next week's show will be recorded at the Public School Forum's annual Eggs and Issues Breakfast. We have a great panel that's going to talk about the state's top ten education issues, including North Carolina's Teacher of the Year, Principal of the Year, School Counselor of the Year, and an amazing high school student who was recently selected as a Latinx 20 under 20. One issue we're definitely going to be discussing next week is school choice, like we did today on the show. We've talked a lot about private school vouchers on this show, including serious gaps that we see in oversight for a program that will actually spend about $1 billion in taxpayer dollars to private schools over the next 10 years. One area we've discussed less, though, is actually the largest school choice effort, charter schools. The number of charters in North Carolina has nearly doubled since 2011 when the 100 school cap was lifted by the legislature. They also created two virtual charter schools and last year passed legislation allowing four predominantly white Charlotte suburbs to create their own separate charter schools reserved for their residents. Now all of this is having a significant impact on traditional district public schools in terms of funding, enrollment, and desegregation. 
yet we don't really look at any of those issues in deciding to approve new charters. We should. We also don't put a lot of restriction on governance. For example, did you know that now one-fifth of all North Carolina charter schools are run by for-profit charter management companies and that 80% of them are headquartered in another state? Charter schools were promoted as laboratories of innovation to scale up and improve public education overall. Isn't it time to take a closer look at the actual impact? That's it for this week's show. Thanks for watching and please turn and tune in next week for our special Eggs and Issues and Top 10 Education program for 2019. Thanks so much.